0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for Shining a Light on Bright Ideas. Today, we're talking brand part two. You guys met Lindsay Peterson on part one, and if you haven't listened to part one of our ironclad brand discussion, hit pause here. Just scroll down and listen to part one, because you're going to love hearing Lindsay's background, uh, her experience working with big brands and small brands, quite frankly, and just her approach uh, in this book that she's written, forging an ironclad brand. Um, I'm just so excited, Lindsay, that you're back with us for part two. Thanks for making the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me back,
0: Justin. It's so fun to talk it to you. It is so great. I um I'm a brand guy. Like I just love brand. I love everything about brand. I wrote I've written my own stuff on personal brand. Like I just anyway. So when I saw your material a couple weeks ago, of course, I was just like, yes, everybody could use uh insight coaching advice on brand. Um for those that don't know Lindsay Um, you got to check out her book, Forging an Ironclad Brand, A Leader's Guide, and you will find a lot of great advice in that. And you'll hear a lot about that on part one of the podcast. Today, what we're doing is we're going to go deeper on the nine criteria for an ironclad brand strategy. So what we're going to do is talk through each of those nine elements, I'll call them. And Lindsay's going to share with us some examples of like companies that are doing it well, just to give you some reference points to it and and be thinking about this content as related to growing your brand or growing your new brand. So, uh, Lindsay, let's do this. So why don't you give our audience the quick 60-second rehash of your background and what got you into this brand space? Um, and then we'll dive into the nine.
1: Okay. That sounds <laughs> great. Yeah. So my background, I started my marketing career in consumer packaged goods. So I was at Clorox doing brand management um, right after business school. And um, when I left Clorox, I started working with leaders to do kind of what a brand manager at Clorox does, um, and but just on a consulting basis. And the the skill or the key thing that the clients I worked with Found kind of astonishing and valuable was the idea of brand strategy. So something that in consumer packaged goods, um, we we wouldn't even consider launching. A brand without having a really, really strong brand positioning point of view behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I found that really new outside of consumer packaged goods. So that's what I do now: is I work with leaders in and out of consumer packaged goods to define their brand in a really disciplined um, and sharp way.
0: I love that. Well, and for those uh, that are tuning into this this episode, maybe didn't catch part one. Uh, we did. We reha- we went through brand positioning, brand promise, brand character reasons to believe, the end reward, the frame of reference, these are like all elements to a a brand and and a company brand. And so I I get encourage you to go check that out. But one of the things that you did, Lindsay, is you put together this book, Forging an Ironclad Brand. So how did you get to putting this book together? And then let's dive into the nine criteria.
1: Yes. So what I kept finding is that I was having the same conversation over and over, (laughs) which is, you know, kind of talking to leaders who were not marketing people um, and hearing them reflect that they thought brand was a logo or they thought brand was, sure. you know, TV advertising or they thought brand was this like PR gloss or kind of one of the many aspects of brand, but not brand itself. And so I, I kept kind of explaining, no, no, no. Your brand is your North star. You know, your brand strategy is the exercise of Pinpointing your north star, which affects all of those things, but is not, uh, you know, it's 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 not to be confused with one of its many manifestations. <laughs> right. And it just became so clear. And these leaders were sort of like, "Wow, like, you know, what really will make our business better and my life better as a leader is to have that laser focus as a business." And so. It resonated with them a great deal, but they needed it to be deconstructed sure. and demystified. So that's what I sought to do when I wrote this book.
0: I love it. Well, and it's got so much great content. And I love the examples that you use of some of the companies uh, in the book and, and the model, which, again, we, we covered on our last um, podcast episode. Let's dive into the nine criteria and let's give our audience some examples of companies that are doing it well. So why don't we start with Big.
1: Awesome. Okay. So the number one criterion for an ironclad brand strategy is that it is big, that your brand promise, your value proposition, your brand promise must be big enough to matter. um, So that, that space that you're going to own in your customer's head uh, that's your brand positioning, make it a big space, make it a big promise. And that will create value both for your customer and for your business. Love so that. matter to your customer, you, by mattering to your customer, you're going to fuel a business that matters. And a business, a brand I admire who really exemplifies this is Salesforce. Ah, so totally Salesforce really, um, Salesforce is about enabling leaders to grow their businesses faster. And this is such a large and resonant promise for the target customer uh, of Salesforce. So a less big alternative might have been um, track customer communication carefully or um, (laughs) uh, largest, right? Like something kind of more uh, feature like, so the largest storage capacity among CRM solutions. Right. So, This huge promise um, enables Salesforce to be a beloved brand, and it has a tremendous market cap. So um, Salesforce really, really like knocks it out of the ballpark with this criterion of be big. Mean something that matters.
0: Yeah, and I when I think about Salesforce, like you just said, I think of their vision as not being feature centric or like pe- uh, bites and bits and bites. Right? It's it's truly to own that relationship with the customer or to en- engage and and almost to enable that for a client. Yes,
1: it's about a higher order benefit love for that. the client. That's
0: perfect. Um, I love it. That's that's the right way to say it. A higher order benefit. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> I love it. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I
0: love it. (laughs) All right. Number two is narrow. So we're big, but now we're narrow. Narrow.
1: Yes. Yes. So you got to be big enough to matter, but you need to be narrow enough to own. Mm -hmm. Right. So big enough to matter, narrow enough to own, narrow enough that you can dominate that. So you want to choose a positioning that you uniquely can own. One where you're not just better, but you're different. You're Mm -hmm. actually different from others. So these are these first two dials, big enough to matter, but narrow enough to own. If it's too big without being narrow, without being anchored, um, then it comes across as fluffy. But if it's too narrow, you're not going to drive as big of a benefit, which means you won't create as much value for your investors. So, uh, um, an example that I love for narrow is Dollar Shave Club. Got so it. Interesting. They, Dollar Shave Club like unabashedly targeted millennial males, not loyal to the status quo way of buying shaving materials, and they used at the time a very distinctive subscription subscription based delivery model, and that enabled them to outflank Gillette by <laughs> totally not you know, distributing through traditional retailers. They just changed it to a different, more narrow game. And that Moxie would have annoyed a lot of customer segments, but it made their target customer smile. And so it was... Uh, yes, it's a big need. A large proportion of men, millennial males, are purchasing razors, sure. but it had a very narrow, distinctive way in. Uh, so they nail. Dollar Shave Club nails narrow.
2: Got
0: it. That's a good one. Wow, I love that. And that totally makes sense and for anyone in the consumer goods industry, gosh, I mean Dollar Shave Club has disrupted the, that whole shaving space um, for a lot of brands. Um, all right, number three, asymmetrical.
1: Yes. So your brand positioning needs to use your asymmetrical, lopsided advantage. So you need to promise from a place of massive asymmetrical strength. So your positioning, it needs to pinpoint precisely what only you can bring to the customer that others can't copy, where you have a clear right to win. And that gives you like credibility, but it also leverages kind of the dynamics, the non-marketing dynamics involved. Like it might be a patent, it might be a real estate advantage. It might have something that you wouldn't traditionally think about as a marketing asset. Um, but when that is brought in, um, it provides more of a moat Got for it. your Mart. for that position. So a moat. This is about the number three asymmetrical is about your moat. So a brand that I love for asymmetrical is Mm. Um, Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex has an asymmetrical advantage in waterproof technology for fabric. When they invented and patented their technology, Um, for for their fabric back in the late 1960s, they claimed that gold standard in waterproof. And so as a result, Gore-Tex waterproof fabric is used in products manufactured by other brands as well, like Patagonia and L.L. Bean and Oakley and Marmot and North Face. I think there are probably more. Um, And because of their laser focus on their asymmetrical advantage of waterproofing as a core competency, no one really comes close to Gore-Tex when it comes to that uh, positioning of waterproof.
2: Wow.
0: That's, that's a good one. Yeah, and, you know, it's true. I, it's a, I love the brand, um, and you're right. I mean, I just, they're a perfect fit for that space. They've got the moat.
1: The moat. It's a moat. <laughs> I love yep. it. All
0: right. Um, number four, empathetic. What does empathetic, empathetic
1: look like? Empathetic, yes. So your whatever your brand promise is, it should address a deeply relevant, meaningful need for your target audience. So it should genuinely have your customers' interests at heart. So it very clearly answers the question, "What's in it for my customer?" Um, And when you do that as a brand, when you do that, when you genuinely care about your customers and serve them, um, from that place of empathy and care, you win their loyalty and you, um, you win kind of like on an emotional level, you win their hearts and you win their trust.
2: Got it. So
1: I, I, this is so important. So a brand I love for empathetic is Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So this empathetic Airbnb really from the get-go, um, addresses this really, Large and previously unserved desire to belong anywhere, to have a place that you can um, be safe and rest anywhere you go. And so there's kind of this deep human need to belong, but then there's also this deep human need to feel safe in, you know, parts of the world beyond your experience. So this promise is really meaningful to guests because they get to experience a new place through this lens of a local and host who get to share their world with someone they'd otherwise never get to know. Of course. So it's Airbnb and being a marketplace, notably, you know, they kind of have two target audiences and, you know, the, the, the hosts and the guests and their promise is empathetic to both both of these discrete groups.
0: Love that one and a big fan of that brand. Another one, it's another disruptor, you know, in that industry.
1: It, totally. I
0: mean, they're, and, and post COVID, they'll, they'll come out stronger. Um, optimally distinct is the next one.
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, optimally distinct. This criterion is about striking a balance between familiar and novel. So, your brand positioning should be familiar, recognizable, so that your customer can easily understand it and grasp it. But at the same time, it should be new enough that it breaks through the clutter and kind of sparks interest. Sure. So the fam- that familiarity gets you into the customer's mind um, because it it feels clear enough to them that they can let it in and learn about it. And then that, that other lever novelty um, attracts their attention. It kind of makes them kind of sit up and pay attention. So it's this balance of being both of those two things. Um, and a brand uh, that I, I think is just like beautifully illustrates this is Chobani. Oh, so interesting, Chobani, their yogurt, so they have this, blend of the familiarity of mainstream American yogurt, but then they have this distinctiveness of the Greek style. So like in contrast, um, Faye, the previous Greek yogurt brand that never got much share in the U S, um, Faye, which is spelled F A G E. Um, it, (laughs) it was sort of overly overly unfamiliar. It was so novel that people didn't really understand it or they couldn't work it into their regular yogurt consumption. Yes. And so it was again it was unintuitive to pronounce. Um, It used large cartons when in America we tend to use single serve yogurt portions. Absolutely. Um, They had plain kind of plain whole milk skews as opposed to flavored and lower fat skews. And it just didn't tap the American yogurt eating kind of zeitgeist. Right. So, what Chobani does is it sort of takes the familiar, the American fruit flavors, and the single size <laughs> servings, and it blends it with the novel, which is the Greek yogurt thick texture. And it became one of the largest yogurt brands in the world um, in a really short period of time. So, it captured oh. this um, balance of both familiar and novel. Wow. So that is criterion number five.
0: I love that. And I love their packaging. Like, I don't eat much yogurt, but I love their packaging. And um, it is amazing. Um,
2: I love it
1: too. Don't it's you? Good. I mean, it's it really, looks I love good. it.
0: Makes you want to eat it. Yeah. Um, functional and
2: emotional.
1: Yes. Okay. So <laughs> with brands, um, I, I often see like two different. Mistakes. One is to make your brand super functional, like you you nail this kind of this very rational benefit, but it's not emotional at all. Um, or brands that are in this very lofty emotional benefit, but it's not anchored in a product truth that is easy for a customer to understand. So it's like either two low on the on the emotional ladder or too high. And so an ironclad brand delivers both a functional and an emotional benefit. So it's at Got this it. kind of critical intersection of heart and Mind If it's only emotional, the customer might not believe it. But if it's only functional, they won't bond with it right. or be loyal to it. So yep. you got to get both. And the brand that I think nails this is Etsy.
0: Mm. So I'm a big they, fan.
1: Thank sell it. on Etsy. Yep, I love big fan. me too. It's, <laughs> their promise is something real from a real person. And it's this kind of ideal intersection of functional and emotional. They bring the... Functional benefit of making it easy to find makers of what you need. Right. Um, and then they provide this emotional, soul satisfying payoff of buying from a real artisan. So, you know, like it's functional enough to assuage the mind, but emotional <laughs> enough to capture the heart. Yep. You know, it had kind of both. Whereas, like, say, Microsoft Office. It's overly functional. Overly functional. It's, you know, it's all about product features. There's nothing for your heart in the Microsoft <laughs> Office. Um, and then maybe the counter, the 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 other side of the spectrum would be Jaguar, which is a brand that is too emotional. It's like the, right. the heart loves the style not and the functional. luxury, that the mind, yeah, it's not right. functional. The mind can't accept that it. it requires frequent repairs. Right. And it's just a bad car. <laughs> Jeez, <yeah.
0: laughs> I, that's funny and i i mean the microsoft office one i am very emotional about my powerpoint like i love powerpoint but <laughs> just kidding um actually the, i'm not I, actually. Uh, yeah some, <laughs> i uh, love doing Someday over drinks so
1: i'm gonna have to learn more about that <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right i'm in um all right let's see uh for those listening we're doing the nine criteria for an ironclad brand strategy and we're talking to speci- uh, about specific company examples which is so much fun uh three more left sharp edged is the next one
1: yeah. So sharp edge. So your brand positioning should be simple and singular. It should be just ridiculously clear to your customers what it is that you're promising them. Um, so when you, you know, focus on that specific benefit with everything that you do and, and, and make all of your product support that single idea. So sharp edge, like don't, Kind of be vague here. Um, be really, really specific. So the brand, and I use this brand a lot as one that I admire, is Volvo. So Volvo has such a sharp-edged promise. When I say Volvo, Justin, what do you say? What's your What's the first word that comes to mind?
0: Um, boxy. <laughs> what, what is? Yeah, boxy. <laughs>
1: what is their ben- What is What is the benefit they own in? the market of luxury cars if 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 they're like you know Prius is fuel efficient Jeep is fun i suppose right. um volvo is about safety for your family totally right like it's about and and then they back that up with the boxy you know kind of all of the cues as a product that you perceive as a customer support the idea of safety right but Um, not very emotional
0: not emotional not like a love brand you know what i mean people aren't loving on volvo do you know what i mean like you would find with others?
1: Well, Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I think that my hypothesis is that you are not their target audience uh, because Volvo is, you know, for, for people who, who, who are in their target audience, that is like the most important thing. And, Mm. and I think actually like you're bringing up a really interesting aspect of ironclad brands, which is, you know, you can't be all things, all people. And like, if you want a sexy or prestigious or fast car, you don't get a Volvo. You know, you <laughs> right. don't get a Volvo, and that's that's the point. That's what makes it sharp-edged is, is that it's clear both what they promise and what they don't promise. You don't see them um, launching, you know, real sporty features right. or exactly speedy features. And like a brand that's not sharp edged in the space would be Buick. Mm. It's like I, you know, what is that Grounded. what does Buick even <laughs> right. mean? And yet it not have sharp edges. Like I have no idea what what it is. no, um, no word comes to mind other right. than maybe both people.
2: <laughs> right. oh <my> God. <laughs> and
0: golf, like older golf commercials. Golf. You know, golf right. commercials. Right. All right. Um, this is too much fun. Um, two more left. Uh, a brand that has teeth. I like this one. I can't wait to see an example on this one as teeth.
1: Okay. So it has to have teeth. Your positioning has to offer compelling granular concrete proof that you're going to deliver on the promise that you made. Um, so it's not just your, your promise has to be true, but it has to be demonstrably true. It needs to be something that the customer will easily believe and trust. Um, it's got to have facts or attributes or hard evidence uh, or claims for the customer so that they believe the big promise that you're making. Um, So an example of this is Geico. Mm. So um, there are plenty of insurance companies that pitch a savings advantage, um, but only Geico's promise to save you money, you know, in a really like extremely specific numerical fact, which is, Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more on car insurance. Fifteen minutes is like that is specific. Like fifty <laughs> right. like that is totally. That's, it's it's fast. It's not so fast that you don't believe it, but it's fast. And then fifteen percent—that's substantial, but it doesn't sound like an overpromise. True. So the the Geico um, promise of uh, value with your car insurance is the one that has. Teeth, because they back it up with this very specific claim. 15 minutes could save you 50% or more on car insurance. So Geico has teeth.
0: I love that one. And yeah, you're right. I mean, who doesn't know that phrase either? And they've done a good job of, you know, tagline. Yes. Um, Okay. Last but not least delivers.
1: Yes. So your brand promise needs to be something that you will deliver on time and time again consistently, um, across everything that you do from the big things to the small things, from the new customers to the loyal customers, you need to nail the letter of the promise and also the spirit of the promise. So in other words, it has to be true. It has to be true. The thing that you're promising, you have to, it has to be true. And it needs to be something that you're extremely confident. You will be delivering all the time. With everything that the customer experiences of your offering, not just like the superficial things, but the deep things, not just when they first become you know b- b- consumers of your brand, but also when they're they've been with the brand for a long time, it needs sure. to deliver. Um, so here's my example for a brand that delivers Zappos.
0: Um, oh I love so Zappos. great company culture
2: too.
1: Zappos, yes. Totally, like no accident there, right? So Zablo is like, they promise, their promise is world-class customer service and they deliver on that promise consistently and across every dimension of their business. So they hire people for their customer service ethics. Their culture backs up the delivery of this promise. Um, Their processes internally are about establishing um, a culture that rewards creative above and beyond ways to delight the customer. Sure. Um, they, they get your merchandise to you in 24 hours sometimes. <laughs> right, they, um, easy returns, provide you know, no big deal. Easy returns, right. no questions. Um, they do cartwheels to make it a, an easy, pleasurable experience. And even their boxes, um, are just this, you know, a treat to open, so that they deliver. They don't just like promise awesome customer service because they have a good return policy. They deliver awesome customer service by preventing the need for customer service. Right. Um, it's
0: <laughs> what a, what a it's concept. So
1: <laughs> right, like you, it's it. You end up not needing to have. To have heroics done as much because they're so good at it, so they deliver on it across everything that they do so consistently that it builds this bond with their customers.
0: It's so awesome. Okay, that is amazing. I have like a twenty-five. um, companies, I'd love to run through your like filter, but I know we're out of time. Um,
1: ooh, that sounds fun. Some you know what I mean? That I mean yeah, fun. that
0: would be really fun. I, I come up with a list of companies and you say you could rate them on your your nine uh, criteria them. here.
2: Right. Ooh, it's that's so funny. Ooh, that
1: sounds I fun. thought
0: you could do that actually. Um, Lindsay, share with our audience where they can find you, how they can buy your book, and connect with you.
1: Oh, thank you. And thanks so much for having the chance to talk again to us. This I couldn't wait. So much fun. <laughs> awesome. I feel like we're geeking out together. Know, on People a are probably like, a geeky topic. <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> exactly.
0: love it. It's a fun topic, though, for those that love this. So
1: It is just so it. fun to talk to you. Um, Well, okay. So my book is Forging an Ironclad Brand, A Leader's Guide. And you can find that anywhere you know, Books online sold. bookstores, yeah. uh, Amazon, et cetera. Um, my website is ironcladbrandstrategy.com. And I have a newsletter. So I kind of talk about really provocative topics in brand every month on my blog post. So, uh-huh. so I would really welcome listeners to totally. subscribe and t- stay in touch with me that way. And I've got lots of fun, like white papers and, um, resources for people on the website. Um, I also have a LinkedIn learning course for people that if they, instead of reading the book, they prefer kind of like an online course video course. You can find it at LinkedIn Learning create a brand strategy is the name of the course and um, I'm just so delighted to be part of this conversation thanks so much it's so for including great.
0: me yeah I went on your website um, I guess it was maybe after our last interview and signed up uh, for your newsletter but then I was able to download the nine criteria it is kind of a white paper and uh, you guys should check this out it's awesome it goes into a bit more detail on everything we just covered today so Lindsay it's been so much fun um, we definitely must have you back on so Thanks for coming and doing part two.
1: Thanks again, Justin.
0: The ContenderCast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms.